Welcome to the Penguin Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Tate. We have a great show for you this week. The main event is the professor of paper, the regent of readers, the maestro of marks. Phil Smith is my guest. We talk about mark cards, how he got into them, and the design process behind the best decks of mark cards in the world. Nick Lacapo stops by the show to discuss the feature product of the week by Bizarro. But before all of that, we start off with one of our quickfire segments where your favorite magicians share their favorite magic books under the fiction that it's the only one they can take to an island in the middle of the ocean. This week, the Los Angeles card phenomenon Jeremy Griffith joins me for Desert Island Magic Books. Jeremy Griffith, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast for Desert Island Magic Books. Let's say you wash up on a desert island with one magic book, but it's made of Tyvek, so it's not going to fall apart in the wind and the rain and the sand. What is your Desert Island Magic Book? My Desert Island Magic Book would be Expert Card Technique. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Which version? <laughs> the... the Honestly, the first version that I ever bought, which was the standard Dover edition without oh, the, that. like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I love the fact that Vernon contributed and, you know, yeah. flexed his muscles and whatever. I just don't care. I just. Okay. I'm with I, you. I'm with you I, there. Yeah. I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all about the original edition that made me happy as a kid. So if you found a way to restore that particular copy to like that waterproof paper and everything, I'd carry that with me. Not because I feel like I'd absolutely learn everything new, but because that book bought me, you know, brought me so much joy and comfort when I was young. I, you know, it made me feel like a pro. It's, so, yeah. it's such a good book. So that, coincidentally, that is like the first sort of serious magic book that I also bought. And I find myself returning to that book over and over again. Cause like the tricks are really good. The slights are really good in the, the way it's constructed. And the, the, just the whole book is this really interesting insight into what some of the most cutting edge card magic of the day was. So I totally understand why this brought you a lot of joy as a kid, especially, and your comment on like restoring that version. I, I mean, Chris Dixon is a mutual friend of ours, so I'm sure we could get him to restore. I'm sure. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hell, he could even do it in my handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> It's tricky that way. What are some of what is there any effect or slights in that book that you find yourself one hand top palm. Oh yeah, one hand top palm because that was that became my default palm. It's in fact, if you ever watch any of my videos, I'm almost always one hand top palming. Um, and it wasn't until I met Glenn Morphew that I found a better way to do it, but or at least a more effective way. Yeah. I think. Um, but I remember that was like sort of like when I went to magic camp, the fact that I could one hand top palm at 14 was sort of a big deal. And that became sort of my, my thing. Like, Oh, he can, he can do that. Like that's a thing he does. So that pushed me into like the advanced close up kids. Yeah. And then I got to have a whole bunch of fun and, and I, I didn't look back Man, from I, the time I was 14. That was sort of like the, the like impetus for me going pro and yeah, so definitely one hand top on. That's so great. I I love I, I love that like I don't even have you don't even have to like stop and think about this at all. It's just that you have such strong memories associated with this book that it's just a very clear th touchstone for you that you go back to over and over again. And because and it is for me too. And it's just such a wonderful book. Well, Jeremy, thanks so much for sharing that book with us and those those memories and thoughts on it. Thanks so much for joining us on Desert Island Magic Books. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Jeremy Griffith for joining me on the show. I have an incredible interview with Jeremy coming up in a few weeks. You won't want to miss it. On to the main event. Phil Smith is one of the leading designers of not just playing cards, but marked cards in the world. He's known for the DMC Elites, the Wranglers by Penguin Magic, and a host of other decks of cards that you probably have in your magic drawer right now. I caught up with Phil at Magic Live 
live to discuss not just Mark Cards, but his design process and some of the more experimental choices he's made. And now you get to join our conversation. Phil Smith, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you because you have designed some of the most prominent marking systems on cards in Magic. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I mean, it's... I mean, I think a lot of people know you for the DMC elites. Yeah, so that's I think that's probably the most yeah the most successful one. The thing that I think it maybe is the best one. And yeah, I'm just trying to catch up with all the other little bits and pieces that I'm doing. <laughs> it just happened to have done the best one first. So yeah, it's the wrong way around. I should be working up to it. But you did the Wranglers. The the uh, you did the screams, uh, screams at, at midnight, midnight yeah. which we talked about earlier. And yeah. I, I guess I just want to start with what got you interested in designing marked decks. Because so, that's different from working with them. Yeah. So, in fact, it, it's, it, it was that way around because historically, like, I never really used a Mark Cards when I was coming up and learning Magic. So, I just used um, just normal, like, regular playing cards. In the UK, a lot of the people learned using um, Waddington's number ones, which are, like, bridge size, really, you know, the dirt cheap ones that you can get anywhere. Yeah. And um, so, I just used a regular deck and then when I was started working with Drummond he hired me to just as a, a designer to do a um, a deck for uh, on screen use for his first TV special called mm-hmm. the card shark and it was a deck that we called the sharks it just had a shark on the back yeah and um, the one of the kings was him just for promo purposes and we looked at doing that purely for the um, for the TV uh, for the TV show but we did a, a run big enough that other people could like but I think he just gave them out mm-hmm. and then we did another deck later, and we talked about doing another deck, and I realized that it was possible with the layout that we were doing to do a, a, a marked deck. So we did two versions of those, and it was kind of like the, the first version of the, the marking system that we use on the DMC Elites. Mm-hmm. So it's a, like a, a, a I think, well, my friend Kevin Raylett calls it like an, a, a, a direct reader system. Mm-hmm. So rather than having a code on it, people can just immediately look at it. Yeah, And it's only once I started, once we'd got that, deck made so the kind of the first mark deck that i ever really used and used extensively was our own one wow so it's not like i had a big history of having looked through i'm not somebody who's studied that it was just a design solution to a problem that came up mm-hmm. and it, it it worked out nice and i wonder whether perhaps not having looked at how everybody else has solved the problem oh, might, yeah. have, might have allowed me to come at it from an angle that hasn't been come out before you know sometimes when you come at something without the presuppositions that come from having seen other solutions to it, you find a solution that no one else has reached for. Yeah, especially if you're like deep in a particular thing, it's it's very difficult to get rid of those preconceived notions. And and so I, absolutely, that, that makes so much sense. So I, I think quite often a lot about doing, you know, d- design things, but also, you know, there's all kinds of different things where you don't realize the presuppositions that you have about everything. There's that or the saying about the, two little fish swimming along and another fish swims past and says, how's the water today? And they swim by and one of them turns to the others and says, what, what on earth is water? <laughs> yeah. So we're surrounded by all of these things that we don't ever even acknowledge. And I guess that, that like the idea that how something should be done, how a problem should be solved, if you've never really encountered everybody else's solutions to it, you will come up with something that's sort of weird or exotic or different. And that it just so happened that the one that we came up with sort of fit that, fit that pattern. Wow. Um, was it was there was it an iterative process or did it, it just like was the design sort of revealing the marks to you in a in a very sorry as I put this in a mystical squishy <laughs> fashion? 
Yeah, there, there wasn't like a bolt of lightning from the sky, and I suddenly realised it was. It's sort of distantly based on something that I'd done previously, which had um, a, like a very different way of doing like an alphabet on the back of a uh, a deck of cards. It was like a Kickstarter that I'd done that was super odd. Mm. Um, but the I kind of liked the idea of having a pattern with the, the tiny diamonds on. And once I started doing the yeah. layout, I kind of had an idea that it was possible, and I'm not sure where that came from. But it's um, yeah, it's kind of like an emergent thing. So it was just like playing around with it in Illustrator. So quite a lot of the work that I do in terms of coming up with like like methods and solutions, sometimes they'll just be kind of like sketching or working on the software to just to, to get an idea for how something's going to look and then refining down markings and methods mm. along with the sort of look of how things are going to turn out. So, yeah, so that, I'm not sure if that answers the question. No, I, I mean, I, it's... It, I, I think it does. And, I, and when you go to design a, a Mark deck, do you, how, how engaged in the process of the back design are you? Because I would, I would have to imagine that like the overall back design is going to influence a lot of the marking system. So the, the, a good example of that was um, Kevin asked me to um, mark the, uh, the Wranglers, which is this a deck, this sort of like a Western themed cowboy yes. deck that, um, that Penguin produced. And so he, uh, somebody had already designed the back, so I didn't have much leeway in terms of how like the vibe of the back had to look. Mm-hmm. And of course, that it, it already had the theme, so it had to fit in with the theme what mm-hmm. I came up with. So I did some like studying about how <laughs> about, mm-hmm. about patterns that would be able to. So I replaced the um, the border on the back mm-hmm. with another. I realized that's where it had to be, so it, I wanted it to be a, a reader deck. Yeah. So that because I don't like decoding coded decks, I don't either. And I know that other people will argue with me, but <laughs> at the end of the day, a reader system is just it's more efficient for the kind of work that I'm doing. And I, I don't feel like lay people understand that reader systems exist. I th- like I, they're I looking for so, something yeah. super secret. Yeah, it's it, yeah because. Uh, with that one, I, I had to look at what kind of pattern would logically work with the sort of cowboy theme. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at um, uh, like weavings and things from that yeah. era and had to find something that would fit, but also had enough detail to be able to sustain the marking. This feels really technical. I hope your, your audience no, like this. But I, I think, no, I honestly, that's the reason I wanted to talk to you about this is because, you know, if they, if they want to listen to something <laughs> on, you know, performance theory, they'll listen to, you know, Nick Defat. If they want to listen to uh, discussions on tricks, they'll listen to me and Nick. But like, I want to get in the weeds on this because I, I'm fascinated by a deck of cards and I'm actually, I'm working with Kevin on a deck right now and I, and I really want it marked. Cool. Um, and so I'm interested in this. And and I and I want to get in the weeds. Yeah. Well. So 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 with that, I did that like research and study to try and find. It has to have enough detail to be able to sustain the level of marking that's required. So we we've got a with with a mark card, you've got a, a very limited set of things that it has to communicate. Mm-hmm. So you've got the thirteen values. Yes. And only four suits, and so you don't have to have like a full alphabet. Mm-hmm. There's a limit to the amount of information that you need to put on, but you have to have a pattern that is complex enough so that it can hold that information and reveal it in a way that is not immediately obvious. So it needs to be detailed enough that you can hide the information, but also make it so that when someone knows what they're looking for, it's fast to read. It is easy to read because we've done projects in the past um, where when it comes to print and you actually have the deck in hand, the system is great, but it's about two millimeters or like an, I guess a 16th of an inch too small. So at the time when you want to read it, you have to look for just even a fraction of a second longer mm-hmm. 
And what you really want is there to be absolutely no friction in the routine. You want people to be able to yeah. not have to read the cards. That's what's nice about the elites and the, the, some of the decks that we've done with a very clear reading system on mm -hmm. them is that there's no. it's not almost like there's no reading phase. You don't have to look at them and be like, hmm, I wonder what this card is. You just, yeah. if you can see the cards, you know what it is. I feel like, like, I know there's some really great systems out there that like have it, you know, and I, I don't want to like, I don't want to cast aspersion on any of these systems because because I don't like having to decode it and and I feel like my brain doesn't work that way. Now I know that there's some people with coded systems who do in, incredible. I mean, just looking at just Andre uh, Pschnika who did the butterfly deck. I mean, that is a coded system, but he's also very intuitive. Like it's very yes, very absolutely. carefully designed. And watching Andre work with it is like this dude's a witch. Um, <laughs> But but yeah, he, yeah, but yeah, you yeah. do have to put in work for that, and I'm just interested in other things, which is why I like a reader deck. It's not that one is better than the other; it just depends on what you're going to do and the level of commitment you're going to have to that. Yeah, I, I've looked at. Um, I really love the butterflies. It's absolutely the way that the solution is done. The cards themselves are just visually beautiful, but the yeah. solution itself, in terms of the way that thinking works in it, is kind of like conceptually beautiful. Yeah. But um, I, it, I did martial arts for a while, and the, the mm. way that I think about the. Um, the the uh, the system that Andre has got on the butterflies is that it's like um, it's like you know a high level of kung fu. Yes. That if you are a master at it, then you are you can do incredible things. Mm -hmm. Versus some a reader system which um, where it's very clearly written, like for example, like the um, the ultimate mark deck, the, the penguin mark deck, yeah, um, or the you know the GT speed readers, mm -hmm. which are more like um, like like boxing where yeah. It's it's more about just. It's a little know, rough just, and tumble. Yeah, it's a little it rough get, and it gets the job done. Yeah. It's it's faster and you can use it effectively more immediately, but you'll never mm -hmm. be able to do a backflip. Yeah, yeah. I no, I think that that's that's a really good example because the stuff you can do with the butterfly deck is insane, but you could never do that with a simple reader system. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about creating the marking system for the uh, screams at midnight deck? But just because. <laughs> And we're talking to magicians, and even though this is a podcast, I think we can talk a little bit about what it is. Yeah, but basically, you you look at half of the word. And when I say half, I don't mean like it started to spell and then it stops. I mean like you cut the word in half laterally. Yeah. So I, I, I um, have worked in design for a long time, and I, I've studied sort of typography. And one of the things that's useful, and, and as well doing um, – I do ambigrams, so the letters that read one thing one way or symbiotograms that read something else the other yeah. way up. And part of what's involved in doing that is working out what the absolute minimum or the most distorted shape that you can use and still be able to recognize mm -hmm. what the uh, words are. People's ability to read is much more sophisticated than they realize. So, for example, when you, if you've ever seen one of these apps where the words flash upon the screen, you can yeah. read text at an almost insane amount of speed. So, like, mm -hmm. in a, a thousandth of a second, your eye can capture a word and be able to decode and read it. Yeah. But in the same way, in terms of time, if you reduce the amount of time, you're very used to reading words faster than actually seeing the whole thing. This is so hard to describe in an audio no, medium. I, but I, un I understand what you're saying. And I, I think um, there's something that, uh, an experience that probably a lot of people have had where there's, there's the paragraph that you read, but all of the letters and the words are out of yes. order. And you just you instantly comprehend it even though everything is misspelled or letters are missing. Absolutely, yeah. And so what, what I did was looked at how much I could take away from the just the word. I mean, mm -hmm. this, the, the, the screams at midnight don't have... Uh, it doesn't say, like, on the um, DMC elites, it says, like, KH for the King of Hearts. Yeah. 
But on the screams at midnight, it literally has the words King of Hearts. Yeah. And I worked out what the most that you could take away from that word, like visibly, so how much you could erode that away and cut the, te- uh, the top and the bottom away mm-hmm. and still be able to read that that's what it says. Sorry to interrupt, but this week the show is brought to you by Threek from Bizarro. Nick LaCapo, join me via Zoom to discuss this fork full of card magic. Nick, when it comes to weird tricks that are amazing, my favorite creator has got to be Bizarro. This guy, man. I love Bizarro. Unreal. His stuff is so crazy, but so unique. So great. So unique. And one of my newest favorite Bizarro tricks is a trick called Threek. Do you know this one? It's, uh, you know, I just recently saw it again and I was like, why am I not doing this trick? I need to start carrying around this trick. You know, I'm, I'm also pretty angry about this because this trick's been around for a while and I don't, th- do people know? I don't think they know. Okay. I didn't know. Here's what happens. Somebody signs a card, it's lost in the deck and then you stab it out of the deck with a fork. Wait a minute. You mean like you spread the cards on the table and then you like stab the cards? No, I mean like you, the, you jam the the fork through the top half of the deck and then you mean you, like through the side of the deck? No, no, like no, you, no. Through the center of the deck, Nick. No, you mean on, through the back of the deck? That's impossible. Through right? the you can't back just of, stab a fork through a deck, and it stops at the selected card, and then you like pick up the fork like you're showing someone a meatball, and the sign cards on the end. That's insane. It's That's insane. it's the best trick I've ever seen. This is this is um why like why isn't every restaurant performer doing this trick right now? No idea. Well, I, like I I well I think it's just because people don't know. Which is here we are. We are officially starting the campaign for Threek 2022, uh, becoming the official uh, cards. I mean, this yeah. is one of the best card stabs I've ever seen. This is this is the best card stab I've ever seen. I am like. I know that we say that about stuff a lot, but like genuinely, I cannot wait to throw this in my gig bag. And this is kind of like, you know, right now we just had a moment, Eric and I looking at this and we're, you know, for the rest of this year, I think you're probably going to hear or see more things about three going forward. Yeah. Because this is just kind of one that we're like, wait, wait a minute. Where this, what is this trick? This trick's great. Why, yeah, why are we, why are we not talking about three every week on this show? It's so I don't good. know. I don't know. Yeah, you should do this right after you do uh, spaghetti al dente. And, uh, you know, you can put together a whole, you know, Italian uh, Italian dinner set. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm getting all, I'm doing I'm doing spaghetti al dente. I'm doing three. And then uh, I'm, I'm, it's got to be a meatball trick. Bizarro's got a meatball trick somewhere. Surely he does. You yeah. should check. So, look, you don't need to know anything. You find a selected card in a deck by stabbing it with stabbing, a fork. Stabbing a fork through it. How yeah. much? There's nothing more fun than that. Threek by Bizarro. Check it out. That was Threek by Bizarro, available at penguinmagic.com. As always, the glamorous listeners to our podcast receive 25% off the feature product of the week when they enter a special discount code at checkout. This week, that code is STABBY. That's STABBY. S-T-A-B-B-Y for 25% off Threek by Bizarro. That code is only good for Threek and only good until the next episode of this show airs. Now, back to my conversation with Phil Smith. And so what, what I did was looked at how much I could take away from the just the word. I mean, mm-hmm. this, the, the, the screams at midnight don't have, uh, it doesn't say like on the um, DMC leaks, it says like K-H for the King of Hearts. Yeah. But on the screams at midnight, it literally has the words King of Hearts. Yeah. And I worked out what the most that you could take away from that word, like visibly, so how much you could erode that away and cut the, te- uh, the top and the bottom away mm-hmm. and still be able to read that that's what it says. 
And so we used that as a kind of a pattern around the outside. So it's literally, yeah. so it's the most reader, reader deck because it has the writing on it. It's, it's, it's really interesting looking at it too because I think you had created the system and then we were working on the screens at midnight and we were like, oh, let's play with this, with this design. Yeah. So it kind of looks a little, almost like there's like gothic architecture or yeah. like bat wings or something and it's, it works. But so yeah, it's a Halloween deck, but I, I can't, I hope you do this system with, uh, with another deck of cards. I think it needs revisit. The, the screens at midnight was a deliberately extremely weird and exotic deck because yeah. I know that, um, I think Kevin wanted to do a presentation at the 52 plus J, which is the, Playing Card Collectors Association, and he mm -hmm. was doing a presentation about Mark Dex. It was around Halloween, and he wanted to have something just super unusual that they would never have seen before. Yeah, because there's like there's 3D imagery in this. There's stereoscopic yeah. stuff. I mean, there's a lot going on in the deck that is that Kevin. It's just Kevin playing is really what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. And then and adding this this truly alien and exotic marking system just sort of puts it over the edge and sort of puts it on like. It's a very bleeding edge deck in in both because it's so high concept. Yeah, I think that we. I'm not saying that we soared a little bit too close to the sun with that. I don't think that the review, the reviews were brilliant. I loved it. I thought it was yeah. brilliant um, because of the sort of like there was a lot of different technical stuff that was going on in terms of the production, and I really like that style. But I think that that it needs to have that. The marking system needs its own deck, so it's yeah. where it's a more like if you. Give that if you use that deck in performance, it looks like an extremely weird deck that you're going to be using. Yeah, it, I mean, it looks like something you got like at a novelty shop or, or something. I mean, yeah. it's it's just it's very weird. And I've said this many times. It was my favorite trailer to work on because it was in the middle of lockdown, and we were just like playing. I mean, there's a Pepper's Ghost illusion in that demo. There's like there's we hired a voiceover artist to do like a create. I mean, it was just way too much. There's with smoke and spiders and grave dirt but yeah. uh it's uh, there's a lot of fun just go watch that demo because it's just the penguin production team just going like what crazy things can we do with all of our toys yeah, we've we been, can't we've been cooped up for too long <laughs> we've gone slightly mad exactly yeah no so it was it was fun to work on mm -hmm. um and it's nice to um have had the opportunity to experiment with things like that and i'm always um like doing that kind of thing and digging in and trying yeah. to work out like what interaction there is between like a marking system and the way that the design on the back works and the mm -hmm. way that that can inform possible methods for a routine. So mm -hmm. um, we did a deck for um, a Kickstarter called the Neural Miracle, mm -hmm. which was the like a the, the entire back was it was it was an experiment to see what the most amount of information that you could put on the back of a playing card in a useful way was, and then building a routine that would logically justify the design and also a performance which walks through all of the stuff that's on the back of the cards. Oh, that's, a, that's amazing. It was extremely, it was, again, again it's yeah. just an extremely weird thing. We were hoping to have some um, here at the uh, at Magic Live, but it's, it's a couple of minor technical mishaps, man, that we weren't able to. Do you, it, it sounds like a lot of what you're working on is, is, is ex, experimental, high concept, interesting stuff. Do you often go back to like the old, like, you know, the Casey Card Co. books were like the, you know, they were basically, it seemed like there were card sheets working at every playing card manufacturer and, and, and putting <laughs> stuff out and looking at those systems or are you are you just sort of interested in pushing towards new stuff? And, and I don't think that the, the answer one way or another is good or bad. I'm just interested in where you're excited and playing. I'm, I must admit, I'm not like, um, I'm not the most, like for the reasons I said, I'm not the most knowledgeable about yeah. the, um, the sort of the history of um, 
the, the way that Mark Carter would do but more or yeah. less the, the majority of my knowledge about the history has come from conversations with Kevin who yeah. is extreme he's probably the most knowledgeable person that oh, I, yeah. I could meet yeah. about those things he knows a huge amount about those um, um, but, in, but we've worked a little bit about I mean the, this experiment about for the neural miracle how much you could put on the back of a card mm-hmm. came about because of a conversation I had with him where he was talking about um, a, I think it was called the Deland Automatic deck where, which had yeah. Everything in the deck on it, and it was an incredible. The idea that it yeah. was done analog without a computer absolutely blows my brain. Oh, because yeah, doing that on a computer would be extraordinary, and yet, it's obviously, the, he had a method for doing it with a with a pen and a reproduction machine to be able to do the print place for it and stuff. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. But because it's so complicated, I can't imagine a fast, easy routine that you could do in the real world using it. Mm that didn't involve you staring at the cards with a magnifying glass yeah. for about five minutes at each phase. So it was a kind of, there's always a compromise, which is a big part of doing this kind of design. There's a compromise between how usable it is and how legible it is and how invisible it is. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I think that originally a lot of the playing card uh, marking systems were coded systems mm-hmm. is because the situation that they were most commonly used in was often used for like gambling. Yeah. In which case, in gambling, in a, uh, in a poker game, you've got quite a long time to look at the cards. Yeah. You don't have to glimpse them in a half a second like you might in a magic performance. And the stakes are so high. Yeah. Because like, if I do a trick and somebody sees that I'm using a deck of marked cards, they'll say, huh, those cards are marked. And I'll be like, yup, you got me. Yeah. And next, and move on to something else. Whereas if you're a game in the, you know, the early 1900s or the 1800s or in the cowboy casino and you yeah. get caught using a marked deck, then there's some pretty serious consequences. So it, they biased towards them being illegible and invisible. Mm-hmm. And so they used a coding system. So even if you could see that there was something there, there was no way to know that it was marked. Yeah. Whereas now, because our needs have changed, the technology's changed, so it's easier to build designs from scratch that incorporate all of these things. And... You, you know, we can make cards where they bias more towards legibility and mm. you do reader systems. Yeah. So, that, again, because no one's going to, hopefully no one's going to get shot if somebody spots that they're using a marked deck nowadays when they're doing like a close-up magic <laughs> game. But I don't work those kind of venues, you know, so maybe here in Vegas they're a bit different. <laughs> well, uh, Phil, we are we are just about out of time, but thank you so much for sharing just a little bit of your the, the work that you've done. And I, I hope we can have you back on to talk more about this. Okay, well, it's been lovely to be here. It's nice talking to you, Aaron. Thank you. That's going to do it for this week, kids. Thanks so much to Phil for being on the show, and thanks to you for listening. You know what? Chatting with people like Phil about design it makes me so excited for the possibilities of where magic could go from here. Hey, I just wanted to do a quick shout-out and thanks everyone who came to the shows at the P3 Magic Theater last weekend. We always love having you out. If you go to p3magictheater.com, you can find out more information on how to get tickets to come see our live shows here in Columbus, Ohio. Well, it's getting close to crunch time for me. In just a few weeks, Nick Lacapo and I are headed to Hollywood, California to perform at the world-famous Magic Castle. We're super excited to head out there. Nick's working early parlor, I'm working early close-up, and I'll be running my FISM act as many times as humanly possible. What more could a guy ask for than to play one of the most prestigious rooms in the world to get ready for one of the biggest competitions in Magic on his birthday? Yep, celebrate my birthday in the close-up gallery of the Magic Castle. Love it. I'm a lucky guy. If you're in L.A., be sure to stop by and say hello to us. We love talking to fans. Well, as always, we're a weekly podcast, so be sure to like and subscribe as well as share your favorite episodes on the social media platform that you've been sharing your summer selfies on. If you wanted to reach out to me about anything on this week's show, you'll have to tap me on the shoulder because I just got this custom music for my act, and I've been listening to it on loop, and it is straight fire. 
Also, the new season of Fortnite dropped, so I'll be playing that until my eyes bleed. But if you can't tear me away from this sonic sensation, you can always reach out to me on Instagram at Eric Tate. That's at E-R-I-K-T-A-I-T. From me and everyone else at the P3 Magic Studios, practice, practice, perform. Thank you.